From the Annals of Thoracic Surgery and the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, welcome to Beyond the Abstract, part of the Society of Thoracic Surgeons Surgical Hot Topics series. I'm Tom Varghese, a thoracic surgeon and deputy editor of Digital Media and Digital Scholarship for the Annals. This is a podcast all about the why behind the articles and the issues in cardiothoracic surgery and healthcare, and what are the planned next steps from authors and thought leaders in the field. We're glad that you are here. If you enjoy our program, please rate our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you downloaded this podcast. Your feedback is appreciated. Please remember, the opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the individuals and not necessarily of STS. COVID-19, coronavirus, containment, pandemic, mitigation efforts, flattening the curve. There are several terms which many of us did not have as part of their vocabulary before 2020. On March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization Director General, in response to 118,000 cases in 114 countries and 4,291 deaths, declared COVID-19 as a pandemic. Since that declaration, the impact has been devastating. At the time of this recording, which is a little less than a month from the declaration of pandemic status, there have been 1,502,618 cases in 184 countries, 339,775 people who've fortunately recovered, and sadly, 89,915 deaths. The impact of mitigation strategies those strategies that are enforced when community spread is active are especially profound on cancer patients. There are specific issues that have to be accounted for. The risk to life in any delay of cancer treatment versus the risk to life of acquiring an infection in a potentially immunocompromised patient. The impact of social distancing efforts in the care of a cancer patient, as well as the significant use of resources in the typical care of a patient. Amidst this background, an amazing partnership emerged amongst the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, the American Association of Thoracic Surgery, and the Thoracic Outcomes Research Network, also known as THORN. THORN is a consortium of health services researchers across 26 institutions. The partnership aimed at establishing guidance principles for thoracic surgical oncological interventions, taking into account both the biological behavior of different cancers, as well as taking into account the consideration for the impact on resources as a result of COVID-19 infection. In today's Beyond the Abstract podcast, we are connecting with one of the leaders of this partnership, Dr. Daniel Baffa, a professor of thoracic surgery at Yale University. We'll be exploring the background of this partnership the rationale for the different principles, and the work product as a result. Please join us as we go beyond the abstract. Dan, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Tom. Really, really a pleasure to be uh, talking to you. 
Perfect. So uh, for the listeners, uh, we're going to be talking about this uh, incredible project that uh, has taken place and is now being uh, published uh, in reflection of uh, the ongoing uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Dan, uh, this was a Herculean project uh, with the balance of getting evidence-based, consensus-driven, timely information out there, as well as navigating, you know, the policy and procedures of several organizations, such as the Society of Thoracic Surgeons, the American Association of Thoracic Surgery, the American College of Surgeons Commission on Cancer, and the Thoracic Outcomes Research Network. Can you describe to our listeners, um, you know, the why behind the project and how this all came together? Absolutely, Tom. So I think this is a project uh, whose uh, origin story is as, as potentially as interesting as the, the content itself. The, um, the Commission on Cancer uh, leadership, uh, Heidi Nelson um, and uh, Tim Mullet, who is a thoracic surgeon, who is the, the, uh, uh, the uh, director-elect of the Commission on Cancer, reached out to me uh, to help with uh, some triage guidelines for uh, thoracic patients uh, that have cancer so that they could be appropriately prioritized as operating room access was restricted during the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it, uh, it became obvious rather quickly that there were questions that could not be answered with data and were best answered by consensus. And uh, I fortunately um, uh, am connected to uh, a group of surgeons who uh, provide incredibly timely uh, and thoughtful feedback, uh, which is the Thoracic Surgery Outcomes Research Network, um, which, Tom, I, I believe you are one of the, uh, the founding uh, fathers of. Uh, yes, I am one of the old people. <laughs> that is correct, Dan. <laughs> So, so in an effort to, um, to get uh, uh, really timely uh, feedback on guidelines, because the, we really did not want to uh, put anything out there that could lead people uh, astray. We wanted to give um, some clarity in a time of great urgency and ambiguity and uh, we engaged the Thoracic, Out- uh, Thoracic Surgery Outcomes Research Network, um, uh, uh, 20 uh, or so members uh, responded to a call for uh, immediate feedback. And uh, within 60 minutes, uh, as we were under a very tight uh, timeline, we had vetted a preliminary set of uh, guidelines for the Commission on Cancer, which was subsequently uh, posted um, as the Commission on Cancer wanted uh, to provide a resource um, uh, very quickly. Uh, Heidi Nelson then um, suggested we build on this and come up with something that was uh, more granular and uh, expansive um, that could be used uh, uh, within the the membership of organizations and and have directed uh, um, distribution to uh, thoracic surgeons. Um, In doing that, um, the the president of the American College of Surgeons, Valerie Roosh, um, 
uh, uh, was contacted, and she really added uh, a, a new level of enthusiasm um, to this uh, project. We uh, engaged the uh, Thoracic Surgery Outcomes Research Network in earnest, and um, uh, additional uh, STS leaders, uh, such as Doug uh, Wood, and on a Sunday, uh, perhaps 48 hours after the uh, the origin, uh, the initial idea, um, we had a long uh, conference call where we really hashed out what we thought were um, some important uh, clarifications and guidance uh, for surgeons uh, in a setting of progressively restricted access to the operating room. This, um, the, these were subsequently then uh, vetted in, in a really remarkably uh, um, uh, quick manner by the Society of Thoracic Surgeons and um, the American Association uh, of Thoracic Surgeons. And um, uh, Alec Patterson uh, from Annals um, uh, was an early uh, supporter of this uh, endeavor and really helped us uh, push this uh, through. And that's that's how the uh, that's how the the, the guidance uh, the guide that we put together really uh, came to be. I think that it is a um, the the commitment and the prioritization of this, which really people just dropped what they were doing and um, and and really committed a lot of time and energy into this. I think this was the number one uh, uh, agenda item for 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 uh, the Thoracic Surgery Outcomes Research Network and, and uh, Drs. Roosh and Wood uh, for this, this stretch of time, I think it just uh, emphasizes uh, that at, the, at, at our core, I think the thoracic surgical community um, really uh, values uh, its membership and uh, its patient population and was, was really motivated uh, to to do something to help uh, during a, a time of just uh, tremendous uncertainty. No, I, I think that's a, a incredibly beautiful and uh, eloquently way that you stated that. It's interesting that you use the term origin story because obviously as many uh, comic book aficionados know, I mean, the term is really related to, you know, superheroes. Uh, so that's really where the term came from. Uh, and of course, we all know that, uh, you know, internationally, there is no question there's heroic work going on right now amidst this pandemic. Uh, the, the one thing I really thought was brilliant, uh, and the, of course, this could have come from those initial discussions with, uh, you know, Dr. Heidi Nelson and Dr. Tim Mullett and yourself, is the framework. You know, I mean, obviously, we had the debate on these conference calls about what should be included in the details, but that rallying framework was already there. And so for the listeners, uh, you know, one of the, the tables that they go into phase one, phase two, phase three, and for example, in phase one, you 
you're looking at, okay, what's the the, lands, uh, the setting, which is a few COVID-19 patients in the hospital, your hospital resources are inta- intact, uh, and, but the, the trajectory is not yet in the rapid escalation phase. Okay, that's your first setting. And then you call it a compass statement or an anchoring statement where in that setting, surgery is restricted to patients whose survivorship likely to be compromised if you delay them by greater than three months. And then in every phase subsequently going forward, you change the the setting and then the compass statement. And so phase two is many more COVID patients. And now it's you're talking about if surgery is not performed in the next few days. And then, of course, the phase three, which is the emergency, which is, you know, the hospital, all your hospital resources are predominantly routed to the COVID patients. And then the compass statement is now you're talking about only perform those surgeries where if you don't do it, they're not going to survive the next few hours. You know, that phrase framework was brilliant. And so the question to you, Dan, is do you think that now, you know, obviously we're in the midst of the pandemic right now, but do you think that after this pandemic is over, that that framework or the type of collaborative projects, maybe that could become a mainstay for our future research efforts? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I think that's definitely possible. The, um, the, the organizing the uh, triage, the progressive triage by hospital status was uh, proposed by uh, Heidi Nelson and I believe Cliff Coe uh, with the American College of Surgeons. And uh, honestly, when I saw that, my initial uh, reaction was to push back because it didn't make sense to me initially uh, as we had, um, we had uh, at, uh, in Connecticut, we had organized all the procedures into buckets based on urgent, emergent, um, et cetera. And the more I thought about it, it actually, I saw the, um, the value in walking people through uh, what is going to be their local reality. And I think guidelines fail for two reasons. Uh, one is they, um, are, they use ambiguous, uh, uh, terminology. And by ambiguous, I, I mean a term that means different things to different people. And I think the, the use of language such as urgent, emergent, semi-urgent is classic for this. And it's something we're really struggling with. Um, uh, we were really struggling with in, in Connecticut because we had organized all the procedures in this way. And what was semi-urgent to one surgeon was urgent to another surgeon. And so by instead saying, what's going on at your hospital and what should you be doing at that time? I think that was really a, a key um, uh, uh, structural uh, element on, the, on, the half of, uh, on behalf of the American College of Surgeons. The compass statement goes to um, the second flaw of guidelines, which is rigidity. I think if you try to paint such a black and white um, uh, picture where this procedure is okay and that procedure is not, you're destined uh, to underserve or confuse somebody. So the compass statement was meant to take the ambiguity and give it context. So at the end of the day, we felt that, um, that this crisis is probably going to restrict elective surgery at most places for about three months. And 
Um, and so we organized our recommendations based on that assumption. And so in the first phase, we really are only doing surgery on people who their survival um, or permanent quality of life is felt to be compromised by waiting more than three months. So when you think of it, when you view it through that lens, then when you're talking about a one centimeter lung cancer, if it's been growing really slowly, um, that's very different, or even a three centimeter cancer that's growing really slowly over the course of a couple of years, compared to a one centimeter cancer that's growing quite quickly, um, the compass statement helps you tease those two situations apart. And you would, you would operate on the faster growing smaller tumor. Um, and I think that just helps you um, give context to things that you just can't take the time to define with that granularity. And I, I think that um, one of the key points um, that, uh, that were brought out um, by the THORN membership um, and, uh, and emphasized by some of the, um, the society leaders uh, were this, these guidelines are not, um, these are to facilitate uh, judgment and consensus, not to replace it. So it's not a prescription of, of how to do things. It's how do we organize a multidisciplinary conversation and apply a, a consensus and derive a consensus understanding of the scenario and what their risk for survivorship is based on uh, also taking into consideration what's going on at home. You know, it, we may be out of blood. And so yeah. um, something that may make sense uh, in Connecticut may not make sense um, uh, in Massachusetts. Correct. And, and I love the way that you differentiated that. That is, uh, this is actually a guidance, not a guidelines. And for the listeners, of course, the difference is, a guidelines is a lengthy process. Typically, it takes a long period of time. There, lots of rounds of peer review, and is meant to last for a long period of time. Whereas this particular guidance is really directed at the current pandemic. Uh, and and I love the way that you differentiated that. And of course, that what makes sense in one state may not make sense in another state. But hence, the guidance document is trying to help you paying attention to your local surroundings, correct? Yeah, the, I will tell you that that nuance uh, was not uh, something that, that I certainly came up with. In fact, that was one of the uh, numerous emails from Dr. Patterson uh, to, hey, would you think of this? Um, yeah. As he, he consulted uh, the STS leadership, and I think they were um, – they – uh, took that position, which ultimately makes a lot of sense. But I, I, I um, that had not, uh, that's something that had not occurred to me uh, at the, uh, at the conception of this. Uh, but uh, now well, I do see. Well, it's, it's also kind of a reflection of the, the changing nature uh, of the world of medicine and surgery, correct? I mean, you know, when you and I were in training, uh, where was our primary source of information? It was from textbooks, right? And, you know, textbook information, we all know, uh, you know, it gets published and, you know, they don't revise textbooks typically for years. But now it's it's the Internet. I mean, and, and the information is at the tip of our fingers. And I think that that's the reason why I was asking about, you know, these type of collaborative 
project. It just seems to me that maybe this may be the way we do business going forward in terms of getting cutting-edge research out there, guidance. I mean, not to say that we're going to abandon the generation of guidelines, but maybe these guidance documents are the things that are needed in these, you know, uh, incredibly, you know, uh, extenuating and traumatizing times. I think that's a great point, uh, Tom. I think that the problem with um, a lot of the real-time information sources, um, such as uh, uh, chats and uh, discussion boards, is you don't get a consensus and you often get conflicting information. And so I do think that efforts to to, to get expert panels um, with, that have a range of perspectives um, to attempt to put to derive consensus where consensus is achievable and to leave open-ended areas where consensus is not, I think is a hugely valuable uh, resource and, and a worthwhile endeavor. And I, I do hope we continue to uh, create um, uh, resources like this that that are that are meant to be transient, but uh, to meant to, to to serve a defined purpose for a, a defined period of time. No, I, I think that's great. Uh, relating to the current pandemic, um, what do you think are other needed research projects? I mean, I know it's a hundred percent tough to tell because it just seems like our day to day lives keep changing. But uh, in your gut instinct, what are some of the other needed information or things that we should be doing during this current pandemic? Well, I think that that we've exposed some some very important questions relating to this specific. Um, uh, um, pandemic that have really made it difficult to uh, to navigate this. You know, we don't know what is the risk of nosocomial infection right now. We don't know what is the risk of uh, the danger of COVID infection uh, while patients are on chemotherapy. We don't really know the impact of delaying patients um, uh, who completed chemoradiation um, and are ready for surgery, but have a, a, a discrete delay. I do think that um, this provides a unique window in time to study some of the um, some of the ways that we're managing patients. I think that there are going to be important delays that are um, are not deliberate uh, or, or not traditional delays, but are intentional delays. And we can really start to understand, you know, does an esophagectomy really need to be done within six to eight weeks of uh, chemotherapy and radiation completion? Or is it actually okay to watch somebody? Because uh, at least at my institution, um, that's become the norm. We've, we've actually moved uh, towards um, uh, rather than uh, doing esophagectomies. My last esophagectomy was a couple of weeks ago. And I've, I've had several people that we've, we've put off uh, at this point. I think there's also, uh, it's an opportunity, a unique opportunity to study um, uh, surgical versus non-surgical management of some uh, conditions. Um, early stage lung cancer, I think we're never going to get a more, uh, um, a, a sort of a least, um, uh, at least uh, biased view of SBRT and a surgical uh, population. I mean, there's clearly patients who 
were either scheduled for surgery or were clearly uh, felt to be surgical candidates that are going in with a non-surgical treatment. And I don't think, um, and I think that's a unique opportunity to study this. Um, The Thoracic uh, Surgery Outcomes Research Network has put together a database, a COVID database, and uh, these patients are being prospectively studied. And I think there's a a real potential uh, to learn uh, a fair bit from this. Oh, that, that, that's amazing. Um, no, uh, Dan, no, we're incredibly grateful to you for uh, taking the time today uh, for this podcast. Uh, any final thoughts to the listeners? Uh, I know that so many of them out there are literally on the front lines and, you know, they're pitching in where they can uh, help. But any final thoughts on uh, the project or a- any other thoughts uh, for the listeners uh, today? I, I would say that, um, that if you're engaged and really paying attention in this process, um, you're almost certainly going to find yourself um, at a fork in the road where your 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 impression of the best thing to do for patients and and your team and and providers is to go in a direction that is not clearly aligned with policy and. Um, you have to be a citizen of a team, but I, I think when, when things are happening quickly, um, I think the compass, uh, if, if you're using what's best for patients and your team and the hospital as, a, as your compass, um, I think it does really enable you to make some tough decisions um, uh, in a timely fashion and perhaps ahead of uh, policy. So if there's, if there's any um, uh, if there's if there's any resistance to um, enacting something that you think is is in your patients or in your staff or team's best interest, I would use that as your compass because when this is all said and done, I think that very few people will be faulted for acting um, uh, as a part of a as a part of a team. You know, as in recognition of that you're a part of a bigger effort. But if you're doing what's best for uh, the patients and the people caring for them, I think you uh, you you will ultimately uh, um, uh, be uh, viewed in a positive light. Well, Dan, uh, that that is absolutely outstanding and and so well stated. Uh, you know, on behalf of our listeners, I wanted to thank you. Uh, I mean, this was incredible work, and as we said at the beginning of the onset, this was lightning speed, and it was so much collaboration and coordinating all the different logistics, but uh, an extremely needed document uh, and project uh, at, at this time. Uh, but no, thank you for taking the time for the podcast today, and we look forward to the future work with you ahead. It's been my pleasure, Tom. It's always great to talk to you, and and I hope your listeners know that uh, you know you know Tom uh, is a as a, uh, a critical member of the uh, Thoracic Surgery Outcomes Research Network, played a very big part in these uh, guidelines, as did uh, uh, the, the vast majority of, of the Thorn membership. So thank you. Appreciate the kind words. Join us next time as we continue to explore and debate issues beyond the abstract, part of the Surgical Hot Topic series. You can connect with the Annals of Thoracic Surgery online at annalsthoracicsurgery.org or on Twitter at Annals Thor Search.